That was Burning Mary Lines Give You So Much More by Brian Eno. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't sing on more of his songs. He has a wonderful voice, but he seemed to really uh, take a shift and just focus on sort of arrangements and instrumentals and the music itself. What a tragedy. Anyway, it's the Stazapod. We're doing Q&As. Oh, and don't forget, Clutter Gallery opening this Saturday, February 8th, 6 p.m., Beacon, New York. Be there or be square. If you're a squire and you're in the area, we're going to do a little squire meetup beforehand. Um, I believe we're going to try to meet at Tito Santana's at 5 p.m. So head on over there if you're local and we'll do a little meet and greet. It'll be fun. First things first, we're going to go to uh, Facebook questions. We got Snake Pike weighing in here. He says, we've seen the vector jump for a few years now, and I know they can utilize the vector to their advantage even outside of the vector. As you've recently described the vector uh, being like an MMO, when someone wants to get into the vector, do they have to set up some kind of console or stasis pod, or are they able to transport themselves seamlessly into the vector? Is the vector like living inside an alternate reality, or is it more like a highly intuitive VR game? Uh, he has some questions after that, but I, I want to hop into the sort of nature of the vector um, because I think it's uh, it's interesting, and there's enough there to speak to. So um, <clears throat> the vector, in some ways, is the highway that kind of brings you to other worlds, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's best to think of it, you know, in terms of a freeway with different on-ramps and off-ramps and exits, and maybe way stations, maybe, you know, uh, rest areas. Um, So you utilize the vector to, uh, you know, to uh, make your travel. That is the sort of non-linear path you go down in order to get where you want to go. You do need a vessel in order to travel in there and to get there. And uh, that vessel can vary wildly. It can be a bunch of different things. It can be a capsule version 1. It can be a zoner capsule. Uh, It can be vector jump armor. Um, There are different ways to sort of uh, travel inside of it. And there's different survivability, as I've spoken to before, uh, based on if you are a entirely human character, if you are a uh, augmented cyborg character, if you're a completely mechanical character, you have sort of different lifespans during vector travel. Um, What you exit into is a completely different world and a completely different reality. Uh, It would be too dismissive to say it is sort of a uh, advanced VR world. I think that's that's too reductive. Um, And, you know, you, you also have to think about reality is perception. So if you have only lived in a simulation and you know nothing else, that is your reality. It's kind of like a you know, Plato's cave, if you know that, um, that little story, uh, where people are sort of 
living inside of a cave and, um, you know, cooking uh, ramen noodles alongside a fire. And the images they see dancing on the cave wall are reality to them. And they don't know that there's a, an exit door clearly marked with fluorescent lights that you can leave the cave and outside of the cave, if I'm remembering correctly, um, it exits you to a Pokemon Go uh, training facility. I believe that's what Plato was getting at. So interesting, interesting little story to think about there. The second part of his question is, when the capsules have appeared, some of them are known to have certain abilities. Is each capsule limited to one ability, or are there near limitless? Are they near limitless in uses? Does the Zoner capsule have any special properties aside from being a vehicle? Um, typically, capsules hold one intrinsic sort of special value. Um, and we may not always know what those are. We may not sort of, uh, in, may not become clear to us until much later on what those are. But typically, there's a theme going on there. Uh, the Zoner capsule is primarily a vehicle. Um, but they do have specific intrinsic abilities as well. While it was not sort of uh, revealed, the Zoner capsule for Reed actually allows him to have a much higher perception of, uh, the, of his senses. It augments his senses in a way that he can sort of spatially see and interpret things that uh, the normal senses would not pick up. And you can look for additional abilities to be granted by additional zoner capsules in the near future. In fact, I think I've already announced that capsules are the theme of this month's uh, Clutter Gallery show. So uh, within a few short hours, you guys will get a sneak preview of um, all of that good stuff on display. Gabriel Tovar, just for fun, Night of the Slice cereal brand. What flavor would it be? Is there a prize inside? So I can go sort of two ways with this answer. I can go with a what cereal I would love to eat and I miss very dearly. And I can go with what kind of cereal would sort of be in line with my diet nowadays, which is not very fun. Uh, if we're going fun and sugary, I'm going to say uh, Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries knockoff. That would be the the material composition of a Night of the Slice cereal. Um, if we're going to go healthy, I would say, um, oh God, I can't think of the name of it. There's a cereal brand that's making a kind of keto style, quote unquote, cereal, which means no sugar, um, no or low carbs. And I got to be honest, it tastes like shit. But if you uh, mix these this cereal that really doesn't deserve to be called cereal. If you mix it with a ton of blueberries, it's actually edible. And uh, I've kind of grown accustomed to it. I have a taste for it. So if we were going to have a sort of healthy adult version, it would be that. Uh, Catalina Crunch. Yes, that's the name of the cereal. Um, look, it's not good. You can try it. I think you're going to find it's pretty off-putting. But if you mix Catalina Crunch with a, a ton of blueberries... Which, you know, a handful of blueberries, not bad if you're trying to stick to low glycemic, low sugar, low carbs. Um, it is surprisingly one of the fruits that has uh, kind of the least amount of sugar. And you also get really good nutrients in blueberries that you don't get in a lot of other foods. 
Um, so that would be the sort of adult version. And yes, of course, both versions would include a toy. I didn't grow up on fantastic serial premium toys that were hugely influential to me to not put a toy in my own cereal. Eric Nussbaum has a question. Uh, he recently went to play with his Rift Killer Teal and realized it was a bit sticky, and then realized the stickiness was coming from the black wash detail lines, and the black wash had started to smudge all over the figure. I thought this was weird because it was at the back of my display, not around anything warm and not in direct sunlight. What uh, has this happened to anyone else, and can the black wash be harmful? What do you think has caused this? So I've seen this only one other time, but this is... Uh, what happens when washes are used. Washes typically have a high water count in them, and water over a long enough time period evaporates, and that can sort of reactivate the pigments that are in a wash. Now, I've switched over from, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not utilizing this specific type of paint wash. Uh, we're going to move more towards paint wipes, which are keeping the paint solid, covering the figure, and then physically wiping them clean with a cloth. It sh should still fill in detail lines, but it doesn't have this sort of glossiness to it, and it doesn't have the sort of high water count that a wash does. Um, this happens all the time with uh, gaming miniatures. I have quite a few of those. I even have some like hand-painted model kits, like uh, um, Machine Krieger kits that I've used washes on. And after a few years, it does start to break down. They get a little bit tacky. Um, plastic also is not a permanent uh, medium the way we think of it. You know, plastic lasts about 20 to 30 years. So, um, you know, a, a good example of this is Brave Star figures. I've been collecting these a lot lately. And um, almost all the ones I get secondhand are tacky because the plastic starts to break down, the additives to the plastic diminish over time. Um, Metacom toys, if you have any of their early re real action figures, which are getting to be about 25, 20 years old, they, uh, they're prone to breakage and stickiness. It's just something that kind of happens over time. But no, none of this is dangerous. We don't use any hazardous materials, as far as I know, in our factories. So, um, there's no hazard there. If you wanted to, you could cover this with a matte spray, and that um, that should seal it off for you if that's the path you want to go down. Um, but, you know, again, plastics, these are not permanent sort of materials, even though we think of them in terms of that. Mark Goldberg Goldberg asks, a cult theme question mark, of course, after the plague. So uh, I'm guessing this is asking after our long-promised occult-themed line. And um, I can say it's still being worked on. Um, like any good project, this has transmutated beyond anything I could have predicted. And yes, the coronavirus outbreak has had a big impact on development for any projects because um, it's sort of been a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. One is we can't move forward in the timetables that we originally want to, but that does allow us a lot more time to sort of fine tune and 
and uh, bring these things together. So the current status of the occult theme is um, it is a project, a multi-figure project with a large scope that uh, involves a lot of parties and we would like to present to people before the end of this year. A lot of that is going to be predicated on the situation in China and what happens there. But um, it's uh, it's really exciting. It's a good storyline. It's interesting characters. It's very additive to uh, the Knights of the Slice world. And it's it's it crosses off a lot of things on my and Dowdy's to-do list of characters and genres we've wanted to do for a very long time. Um, if you think you know what it is, I think you might end up being surprised because there are a lot of twists and turns, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to hop back and forth now between Patreon questions and Facebook. If you want to join us on Patreon, it is patreon.com slash jessedestasio. You will have access to additional Dostazapods, behind-the-scenes work. You'll get to vote in our Design a Night contest. You'll get free toys or gifts every month. So sign up and join us. There's really no excuse. Chris Warner is first. He says, will we see a glow-in-the-dark figure in the action figure of the month? Quotation, uh, ellipses, doomsday release. So Chris is uh, talking about our last Astazapod, which is a Patreon exclusive, where I rolled out my doomsday plan. Should there never be any more manufacturing in China? Which... I'm hoping it's not the case, and I don't think it's very likely that will be the case. However, I have planned a contingency in which I can fulfill all of Action Figure of the Month 2020 based on styles that are here in my workshop. And it's a pretty ingenious uh, rollout, if I do say say so myself. So Chris is curious if there are no new action figures made in China... Will there be a glow-in-the-dark figure in this doomsday plan? And um, Chris, unfortunately, I have to say no comment because I do not want to ruin any surprises. But if people like glow-in-the-dark things, generally speaking, you're going to be happy this year, even if this worst-case scenario happens to be the case and nothing new is manufactured. Redweiss says, you've mentioned that you'd like to do big orders from the factory for the whole year or so. Does that mean you have all the variants and crossovers with O'Neill planned out a year in advance so they can cast and paint all the different colored parts at once? Uh, no, it actually means quite the opposite. Um, O'Neill plan and design their figures, our crossover figures, completely by themselves. And oftentimes I do not know or see what these figures are until a few days before you guys. And I like it that way. I want Matt to be completely unencumbered in his creative decisions, as I like to be unencumbered in mine. And it allows me to be to experience Knights of the Slice every now and then, like you guys do, with an element of surprise. So no, there is no coordination between us. Um, occasionally he may show me some color schemes that he's thinking of, or some very preliminary information so that we don't sort of duplicate each other's, uh, you know, notes in the song. But uh, typically that is a completely shut off process. And uh, I definitely prefer it that way. Moving on to James Davis. Uh, now that we're getting the Trilobite King, well, I said I'd like to get to Trilobite King, no guarantees there. 
uh, who seems like he's the Sauron of the story, will the other villains bow in fealty, or will there be a multi-factional war for power? Also, if the Trilobite King is Sauron, then who in the nicest slice is Frodo, Gandalf, etc.? Um, I think that a multi-factional grab for power is the status of Knights of the Slice. I think that is the status of our living world. And um, that is the best way to think about conflict within this this narrative. Um, There are always going to be different factions reaching and grabbing for power. And there's always going to be, um, you know, segments of the population who are subjugated or uh, held away from the levers of power. Um, I, I don't know that Trilobite King is as simple as Sauron and that there are allusions to then draw to Frodo and Gandalf. And I think that in some respects that is kind of limiting, um, because, you know, and it's interesting you would pick Tolkien because Tolkien, unlike his friend C.S. Lewis, he hated allegory because he felt like that limited people's interpretation of fantastical characters and worlds. C.S. Lewis was fine with just uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe being an allegory for Christ and, you know, with uh, heavy biblical themes. Tolkien sort of bristled at the idea that you could draw allusions from his characters to things that were happening. Now, obviously, um, you know, the industrialization of the English countryside was a huge uh, part of Tolkien's life and clearly fed its way into um, the books. You know, if you think of like the flash forwards that Frodo has about the Shire being enslaved and things like that, obviously there's pretty stark comparison that can be drawn there. But he he truly did not want people to look to his characters and his stories as a parallel to uh, anything else. He wanted it to be personal. And you decide those for yourself. And I, I think I, I kind of stick to that in this regard. Hopping back to Facebook for Gavin Reader's question. I'm not completely caught up on the status of the OG Knights team. Who is, the, who is in the current roster? Is Rex still leading? Teal is alive but evil? Brick is still around? How does Saima and Radic fit into the story, or are they separate? Also, does Grasshopper and any other Subsidy Supply Drop characters count as canon, and do they exist in the current storyline? Finally, will there ever be a digital version of the Subsidy comic? So, to ask, to answer your last question first, uh, I, I actually have to make a decision about publishing soon. Um, you guys have sold out the Postcard comic book which is crazy. I had quite a bit of inventory of those. Uh, it took about a year, but you guys bought all of them. I, I was very surprised. I thought that would have lasted for several years. Um, I believe I also sold the last copy of the Old Heroes sort of scratch book this morning. So there are a couple books now that are out of circulation. Also the Jagged Age uh, jumbo comic that sold out. Um, you guys have been voraciously reading the, uh, comics and the story. It's been pretty interesting. Um, I've noticed also, and thank you guys for this, 
quite a few sales for the digital comic books this past week, which is extremely flattering to me. I'm glad people want to go back and, and dig into uh, the story here. So um, I have to make a decision. I, I should probably get some sort of new physical copy work done. I have to think about how to do that. I do need help doing that, so I'm going to have to um, potentially look at hiring somebody to put stuff together for formatting and, and act as a sort of editor. Um, I also want to do another issue of Knights of the Slice. I'd like to get to issue number five. I got to start thinking about that as well. Um, regarding this sort of current status, where we are and everything. So Saima is a... She's previously been an independent agent. She has sort of focused on her own exploits and things like that. And she has now, you know, in our current state, she is a subcontractor of Fred Foods. Now, working for a conglomerate for such a radical mind as Cybermama is uh, incongruent to say the least. So we have to suppose that there's a motive there. Um, Rex is still the de facto leader of Knights of the Slice. Teal is still evil. We assume he's alive. He has been sort of beaten, but, uh, has not made his last appearance by any stretch. And Brick is still in Knights of the Slice. He is still largely the second in command. Um, but it has taken much more of a non-active role in the day-to-day of Knights of the Slice. Uh, he prefers to sort of provide technology backup to um, more active field knights, as it were. So that's where everybody stands. Radic, we do not yet... Well, you do not yet know um, how he plays into everything. But um, Radic has had some hand in some of the events that have happened so far in Knights of the Slice. Uh, yes, the Subsidy Supply Drop characters are canon to the Knights of the Slice story, and I'm looking forward to filling in some of that in the near future. I actually really liked Robert Cross's uh, Gargoyle Shikan story, and I like that one-page format. So um, if time permits, I, I might have some more stuff like that happening soon. Hopping back over, Gordon McKinnon Hall on Patreon says... Listening to you discuss your contingency plan about manufacturing delays that led to exciting new character creations struck a chord with me. I've been having a stressful time at work, and I've also found myself feeling more creatively productive in creating more art. Do you think external stressors or limitations can lead to more interesting creative outcomes in some respects? Absolutely. There is no more stark example of this than the original Star Wars trilogy and the prequels. You know, uh, if you watch all 10 hours or whatever of the Red Letter Media critiques of the prequels. Uh, Their eventual thesis at the end of it is that art is created through adversity. George Lucas, with an unlimited budget and no detractors, only yes-men, and the ability to create whatever he wanted, created the prequels. In stark comparison, as a, you know young filmmaker with a limited budget and studio oversight and collaborators he leaned on heavily. Remember George Lucas, uh, you know, only directed Star Wars. He did not direct Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Um, 
he created something much leaner, less bloated, more fun, more cohesive, more risky. And I think you can see that again and again. And look at the original Indiana Jones and look at Crystal Skull. Look at Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings versus King Kong. There is a bloat that comes with comfort. And I think that art often suffers from that. Um, Gordon also says, I've been enjoying seeing what new items you pick up and what you get from the flea markets. Thank you. I always like sharing that. Do similar aesthetics guide what new items you seek out as well as what vintage items? I I think so. Um, I don't know if it's aesthetics per se, but I do think that there is a, there's a vibration to items I, I pick up at a store or I pick up from a flea market. And color is a vibration. You know, color, tone, and hue is dictated by the frequency at which a vibration occurs, you know, on an object. So uh, there is a sort of vibration to 80s and 90s toys that um, I seem to have an extra century perception for. Um, there's something about those neons that were so common in that era that just, they speak to me, and I'm drawn to them. Even if it's a toy I never had as a kid or had no interest in, when I sort of see it in person and I feel the the vibration of the colors, I feel compelled to pick it up. And, and that does in turn inform, uh, you know, a lot of decisions I make in, in toy design. Um... Moving on to the final part of Gordon's question. What's Marson's relationship with hyperdeath like? Do they cross paths at all? What would a conversation be between the two be like if they were stuck in an elevator? And Gavin Rader adds in, can Marson communicate in English? I mean, he is a Martian. Um, so Marson and hyperdeath are probably uh, polite rivals to each other. You know, they are always vying for the trilobite king's favor um they probably respect each other's crafts because these are two hard-worn psychopaths who are true sadists they enjoy the art of pain so there must be an admiration to them but they are in competition with one another i would liken it to use another star wars analogy uh probably to the quiet respect that darth vader and boba fett seem to share with each other on bespin um, Marson can absolutely communicate in English. All the Hyper Knights, they are augmented. They are arguably like a perfected version of humans. So things like language are built in, and um, they would have no problem speaking any language. Jerry Bow is coming to the clutter opening, so that's great, Jerry. We look forward to seeing you at Tito Santana's around 5, and then uh, at the opening at 6. We'll probably, I'll, me and Nikki will have to dip out slightly early to go do our final touches on the display. Cliffy Cheetah, how does one determine if a toy line, whether from a giant toy company or small independent artist, will most likely be a success or a failure? Um, I don't know that there's a way to tell, because if there was, I think everybody would employ it. I would say if you're an independent artist, resin releases are always going to be a good indicator of whether or not it's worth the huge expense of jumping into manufactured plastics. Um, I think if even a step before you start doing resin pieces, I think sharing artwork every day through Instagram or wherever and seeing if it resonates with anybody. See if you get 
likes, if you get feedback, if you can continue to improve your craft. Before you incur the, the expense of doing resin pieces, and before you incur the expense of doing manufactured plastic, I think there's a very basic daily art output you should stick yourself to and um, see if you can build an audience there. Uh, giant toy companies, I, I, you know, I often wonder if success is something they can achieve. I mean, they're still on this antiquated model of you back, you put 10 lines into retail and you hope one of them is a, is a standout success. I, you know, the further away I get from it, I don't, I don't understand the mass market and I don't understand how you would have success there because it just seems like there's so many antiquated factors and um, these big bloated companies trying to make decisions in what is largely a fashion industry. Um, So I probably didn't answer either of those questions. (laughs) Mike Ultra says he's coming to the Clutter Gallery. Well, Mike, why don't you meet us at 5 p.m. at Tito Santana's? We'll grab a taco before the opening. Thomas Yonte is there a color that you stay away from or gravitate towards when designing, whether it's hard to work with or always plays well with others? Or is just your favorite? My combination of color blindness always leads me towards bright yellow, pink, and black for clothes and toys. Gavin also chimes in that he is red-green colorblind himself. Um, uh, there, There's a specific color I hate that I have always avoided, and that is um, a sort of preschool blue that's the best way I can describe it you know you have like these very basic primary colors of blue red and yellow and you see them used all the time in like elementary schools and stuff like that and I hate that fucking blue I don't know I would have to find a pantone of what exact blue it is but I find it revolting and I don't quite know why um there are certainly colors that I lean heavily towards. They are usually on the neon spectrum, uh, just because I believe that's a great base color, and you can really build a character off of these things. And also, it's it's you know, it's an homage to the era of toys that I grew up in. This is really ingrained in me. Um, I think I largely avoid real type colors, and I avoid popular color schemes that the other glios makers use i just i find myself with no interest in exploring uh this sort of uh color theory i don't know why i I guess i'm just you know i tend to go in the off the unbeaten path usually with these things i have a, a aversion to the group mind in some ways Moving on, David Landstreet, is there any plans for more special material figures like UV or Temp Reactive, Glow or Scented? I missed all previous releases. Um, The only thing I can confirm for you is that UV figures will be back in stock once we get to summer. Um, So I'm excited for that. I I like experimenting with gimmicks. If China ever comes back and production starts again, I will definitely be exploring some of those things that you've listed there. Scott Page says he plans on attending the opening, but he's got a work deadline. It's going to be tight. His simple question is, is there existing logo for Fred Foods? He hasn't digested all the source material yet, so he hasn't fully had a chance to answer his own question. He's building a sci-fi city environment with ambitions alongside 
Chris Shaler's work. Chris is really fantastic. Uh, Toy Empire. Uh, he's built an amazing spaceport. Um, and he'd like to insert a little visual in-jokes and homages to the things that inspire me. Um, I don't believe there's an official Fred Foods logo, but I do believe that Erwin Papa may have put one into Knights of the Slice issue two. There's a there's a big cityscape where Skull Grimson is on a building, and I think he snuck Fred Foods into there. I, I'm not entirely sure. I'll leave it to you sleuths to determine. Uh, Quentin Russo recommends I check out the obscure band GMPD and the album Dreamscape, and this is a reference to my podcast about benefits dreams. Thank you. I will check this out, Quentin. I appreciate it. Brent Lawson, why is there a difference of $4 on Cyber Mama in the O'Neill store versus Toy Pizza store? Looks uh, like you pretty much get more Glios parts with her through the O'Neill store too, and she was painted up, but I guess the boobs are where the extra $4 comes in. Gotta be the boobs. By the way, the new variations of Cyber Mama just keep getting better and better. I think the Patreon all-white is my favorite. I know the hot local single material gals are 21, but I'm referring to all the other mamas. Um, so cost is very interesting and it's very subjective to the seller. Now, O'Neill sell and have a much bigger client base than I do. They sell way, way, way more units than I do. Um, I am still relatively young in terms of the market of Glios and O'Neill and it's still growing. And I, I also have a, a big customer base that do not buy other Glios makers. I, I'm a bit of an anomaly in that stretch. So right off the bat, because he's running more units than I am, substantially more units than I am, and can sell through those units, he's going to benefit from a lower unit cost. That's just the nature of uh, manufacturing. And, um, you know, I don't take for granted the money that people spend. I still think that you can get a really good experience and a really good value with the stuff I offer. Um, I think my tendency is just to try to make as much money as I can so that I can keep making more toys. Matthew Paquette asks, are the O'Neill design collaborations like Hyperphase, Corellius Saima, and Queen Corellius Saima a part of Nice of the Slice lore, the O'Neill lore, or both? Wondering if we'll see a Saima come face to face with the Queen. Have there been instances where Faden or any of the other O'Neill characters popped up in the world of Knights of the Slice? Any possibility that they will in the future? Um, there's a second part after this, but let me answer the first part. Um, so these O'Neill collaborations definitely exist in the O'Neill universe. And, uh, theoretically exist in the Knights of the Slice universe because the Vector would, uh, you know, theoretically have access to the different realms and worlds in which, uh, the O'Neill characters exist in. So, uh, yes, it is incredibly possible that, um, O'Neill creations would be considered canon to Knights of the Slice. Uh, I don't know how likely it is that they will interact as characters. I don't know how likely it is in the future that there's going to be um, 
a sort of like handshake team up moment. Um, and I would also say that as far as instances where Faden or other O'Neill characters have kind of popped up, uh, I'm not going to answer that, but I think that very astute readers can go back into some of the comics and the postcards and probably find an answer to that. Uh, but I won't spoil it, and I won't tip my hand in that regard. The second part of uh, Matthew's question is, the Subcity bio talks about them piloting tactical submersible jets. I wanted to say there was a piece of art you released a while back for that drop that showed a Deseret hanging from a tow cable that showed this vehicle, but I can't find it to confirm this. Is this a vehicle you have considered or will be putting into production in the future? Um, as far as production goes, no, it's not something I'm considering. Uh, you are only remembering one piece of art that had this vehicle. There is actually a very beautiful uh, view of the full vehicle that was part of a postcard that came with that um, Desert Rat, which I think we've long sort of cycled through and sold out of. Um, I've been having discussions today about the future of some of our printed stuff. I think I alluded to this earlier, but I, you know, I'm assessing how and if we can pull together um, some more digital comics and then a, a big, condensed, comprehensive compendium that would be a physically printed thing. So uh, I'm thinking about both those things, and hopefully I will have a way for you guys to sort of be able to appreciate some of this art. In the immediate, it would probably be in digital files. I, I like that $1.99 price point that the digital comics are. And then in the near future, we can do some sort of book. And I have some ideas about that as well. So um, think about that and uh, think if that's something you might like. And I want to hear from you if you would support a, uh, a new effort in both digital and print books. So thank you guys very much for these questions. A lot of great things to think about. It will be very interesting to see what our fate ultimately is in terms of production and China. Will things return back to normal in this forecasted estimate date of middle of February? Will the workers return? Will everything be intact? Will we be get back up and running on time? Or are we looking at months, if not a year of delays? I don't know. It's a really intense and exciting time. But I think that the ultimate thing we can come to is that Knights of Slice will live on in whatever form it needs to. I'm very energized by the idea of some new publishing components. Um, you know, there are stories to be told, there are characters to create. We will get them out there. And for the time being, it's going to be status quo for us. There's lots of stuff I have yet to release. Um, you know, I'm going to keep going through the paces. You guys are going to have a lot of new, exciting product at least for the immediate future. And uh, once we run out, <laughs> my hope is that um, whatever delays may be incurred, we are sort of, uh, we're left with some good runway and there's no disruption to the uh, constant drops that I do. And outside of all that, I wanna thank you guys for all the support and the wonderful feedback you give me. It keeps me going. It's, uh, it's been a lot of cold days out in the workshop by myself, but uh, I do it for you guys. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the future. Least of which, I got to make some more Frankenslice. I know that's going to be important. Oh, and actually, 
<laughs> as I'm getting ready to sign off, I get one more exceptionally great question that I gotta dig into here. Isn't that funny? I was ready for my sign off and then I get a notification on my laptop that there's a new question. And as I'm sort of getting ready to record this part, a second question pops up. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna rattle off these two. These are good. Uh, Bastion says, okay, question time. What's the process for making a Frankenslice figure? And two, with the release of a new Shikan short story, Knights of Slice figures have now been marketed with a comic artworks and now literature. Do you see yourself pushing forward into animation or short videos in the future? These are both great questions. The process for making a Frankenstein figure is painstaking and long. And I've actually been doing that for the past three days and my thumbs are aching. So a lot of the time, a beautiful idea for a character comes to you after the goods have already left China, meaning that can't be assembled to articulate your idea um, by the factory. You have to do it yourself. And thus you enter the Franken-slice mode. Um, I think I've spoken at this at great length before. You can check out probably the hashtag for Action Figure of the Month and look up on Patreon the Franken-slice month we did, which was August, if I'm remembering correctly. And that will show you what my, my work table looks like when I'm doing Frankenslice. And I, I'm staring at another iteration of that as I record this. It is basically several different bins of every single component of a figure stripped down and organized. And from that, sometimes it's several figures, from that I pick the components I want, I heat them up in the hot box technique, and then I reconstitute them, put them in a bag, and call it a day. Um, I have to do this hundreds of times. This is a, a painstaking process, but it is a rite of passage for Glios makers. Every creator knows the pain of having a bruised thumb from trying to pull these things apart. And it's particularly tedious and painful in the winter time when the plastic is really hard and uh, doesn't have as much give as it does in the warmer months. So it's a very elaborate process. It requires a couple weeks of planning. I'm neck deep in that process right now looking at our alternative March Action Figure of the Month fulfillment. But it, this is a character I really love. You guys are going to be blown away by it. So it is worth the work in that regard. Regarding um, seeing myself pushing into animation or short videos, I, I don't think so. Um, I have already done the circuit for pitching Nice to Slice as animation to several animation studios and content makers that you guys know and would know and that are fairly popular. Um, as with any time I've pitched the Hollywood circuit, I've always gotten, gotten resounding no's or tepid, ah, that's interesting, but could we change this, this, and this? Which is the typical feedback you get from Hollywood. The worst feedback you can get from Hollywood is a yes and a thumbs up because um, that means they probably have zero interest and they're just stringing you along. So um, I don't have interest in animation. I don't have interest in expanding this beyond. I'd like to do some more comics and some more stories. Um, but uh, no, it, it would be such a time suck for me. And my time is so very short and precious at this moment. And the payoff would take at least a year of production before we saw anything. And... Um, you know, having worked so close to animation and seen every step in the process, 
I actually have a degree in animation too. It's not a well-known fact, but I have a bachelor's of computer animation. Um, I would say no, because Knights of the Slice, if nothing else, is an immediate thing. From the time it takes me to get a, a thought in my brain to communicate it to you guys is very little time. It's a very short time frame. I can get these ideas to you hot and fresh. I can create new characters through the Frankenslice method the morning before a sale. And that immediacy is part of what makes this super special. So maybe one day, uh, you know, I wouldn't rule this out. I wouldn't rule out me completely becoming a sellout. That would be a fantastic position to be in. But for the time being, I really don't, I, I can't imagine the opportunity to do animation offering me something that uh, affects my material reality in a positive way. Okay, now this is actually the final question or questions. I promise, I really thought uh, I thought I was done with this one and you guys just came back with some great doozies at the end. Gavin Raider, will there be, will we be seeing any more Material Plus this year? I really like Marson. Uh, yes, we will, and relatively soon. Uh, do you think we might get those Battle Damage OG heads sometime this year at all? Um, so if I am correct, and correct me if I'm not, Gavin, you're asking about uh, paint apps to mimic the original trio on the Hypernite Cracked Mask, which I think I've mentioned I've wanted to do previously. If I'm understanding you correctly, and that's the request... Um, it's still something I would like to do. It's not something I have pulled the trigger on prior to the Chinese New Year break and subsequently this crazy outbreak. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's about as likely as anything else is, assuming the, uh, the world hasn't come to an end over there, which, uh, I cannot quite confirm or deny. Uh, finally, uh, Radiker Hackerman are sort of neck and neck in terms of production. You know, they were kind of left in the same position prior to the end of the year. Um, Hackerman's parts count is done. It's locked. I was able to get everything in there, so he should have a ton of accessories. Now, he comp he is uh, sort of... An entire Hackerman figure with all the accessories as shown is three molds. And one of those molds will eventually be separated so that I can run accessory packs uh, all day long. So that's where we left it. Now, whether or not, I, I don't know, again, the damage report from this virus outbreak and things like that. So a lot depends on where we pick it back up. But uh, yeah, there is a there's a very real question of A... Will these characters come out? Which I think is pretty likely. And then B, which one is going to uh, be done first? Um, and I don't have an answer for you as of today. I would say that it just depends on how quickly each of these production lines get back into the swing of things. And uh, one could easily surpass the other. Because um, initially, as we were going into December... Radic was way ahead, and then he got delayed because one of the components was missing and had to be redone. So Hackerman sort of caught up to him, and then at the break, neither of them had completed the tooling process, so they truly are at the same starting block in many respects. Um, 
With that, I will actually say goodbye for the very real time now. And the only thing left to say is pizza out.